It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. I'm Rob Murphy, back for an update show as we fill you in on plenty of news that's uh, spun around in the last week or two. We are probably the guts of nine weeks into the lockdown, as it is now known in most parlance. And yeah, Connacht still just trying to plan for the future, making some signings, the IRFU making some announcements. We have lots to get through, so we brought back the main crew. Alan Deegan, welcome along. Hi, Rob. Good to have you here. William Davis, how is all with you? Good, thank you, Rob. We're ready to go, lads. Uh, Let's get started with the signings, William. We've got four big signings coming up uh, for Connick. Sam Arnold and Connor Oliver, both coming from Munster. And uh, we got a couple of guys from the Leinster Academy as well. Jack Anger and Oshin Dowling as well. So... Just a bit of an announcement. I presume, in a sense, William, a lot of these would have been worked out a few months ago. Uh, that said, it did give people a little bit of a boost to be looking to the future and thinking about a Connacht rugby team back on the field with some new faces uh, when when we're in a time of uncertainty. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I suppose if the season had gone on uh, and, and hadn't been stopped, we probably would have been told this stuff a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Uh, it, it, you know, it's the time of year that you get the announcements. Four Irish qualified players, quite young players. Uh, they've all played under 20s rugby. And I suppose it, it would seem that the decision has been made, whether they made the, all the decisions, but they've, they've looked at an opportunity to play more starting rugby. Sammy Arnold has got a South African World Cup winner in... Damon Iandi coming in. So he's he's made the decision that says, look, I have to put myself in a position where I can be a starting player. Jack Anger, on the other hand, is a very young player. Oshin Dowling's a young player. Connor Oliver has had some injury issues. But they've taken the view, and the IRFU, I, I suspect David Nusifora has also been saying, look, you, you've got to get into the position where you can start games. And that's what Connacht are looking for. And it'll be great when they arrive here. It's also, and this is this is important. It's been confirmed that they will become Connacht players on the first of July, and they are available to play later in what is still the current season. Even if we don't get back till August, we're still playing the 2019-2020 season. So it's 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 an unusual one because you could finish up playing for Connacht against your previous province. Uh, but they've they've accepted that because the contracts run first of July to thirtieth of June, these mm. players have to be available. Fair enough, and uh, you know whatever happens and whatever way they try to finish the season, it's going to be unusual anyway. So a certain element of uh, player transfers and stuff in between that is only just going to add to what will be uh, quite an unusual conclusion to the season. I, I guess uh, William has highlighted Alan another element, which we'll talk about a little bit later, which is. The fact that the RFUR and the Pro 14 are trying to, you know, plan out and scope out some sort of way of finishing the campaign. And from what was confirmed this week, it's pretty much what we had been uh, presuming. An August date for a couple of interprovincial games at the Aviva Stadium, which is interesting just to have a neutral venue and a controlled venue for those games, with a view towards uh, building towards possible semi-finals in the Pro 14. So we might get a conclusion to this season of sorts. I think they need to. I think from a TV money point of view, there has to be a conclusion to the season. And yeah, I'm just looking at the, the, the date of the 22nd, 23rd of August being the, the weekend for um, back-to-back interprovincials in 
um, the Aviva Stadium. Mm. Um, so that's as, as a starting point. And then the following week, the, the second set of, of Interpro. So we still have to play uh, Ulster and Munster, I think it is, um, are our last two games. Um, so yeah, they, they they need to get something going, and and just going back on on somebody, you know me, I like my stats. Um, Sammy Arnold and Conor Oliver both played for for under twenties for Ireland under Nigel, so there might have been a bit of influence there. And Sammy Arnold's going to give us something that we're going to miss in one of the players that we know is leaving. Um, called by Fiengas leaving, and he was our our best ball carrier last year statistically. And and Sammy Sammy Arnold is on average not that far behind them. Um, for meters per carry, so it's it's um, hopefully a straight for straight, straight like for like swap there. Um, but yeah, it, it is important that the season finishes. You know, just reading a excellent article from Jerry Thornley today about you know why it's important for the season to finish and and why the IRFU need to be putting this pressure on from a financial point of view. And he makes a really valid point at the end where people are saying, "Oh, the IRFU are loads of money. Why should they be getting to do what they're they're doing?" For every hundred euro invested in sport in this country, 195 euro comes back in tax. So you're looking at a huge um, reimbursement of of government funding. Um, so it's not as though a government are you know these organisations, the GAA, soccer, uh, and and other organisations are sort of just taking money and not doing anything with it. They actually give money back because sport is so important. It really is an important element for people to enjoy their lives and and watch. Some people live vicariously through their sporting heroes, um, but you know it's it's such an important element in life. As long as the arts, uh, you know, same with arts, same with with music, same with you know, theatre, all that sort of thing. People need something to be inspired by, and sport is one of those things that inspires people. Yeah, really well said. We'll possibly get back to Connick's next season squad because there's some interesting information around uh, possible players leaving. But let's get to that in a while, William. Just to take what Alan was saying and and, and speak about some of the elements of what the IRFU have announced this week, we've, we've kind of mentioned the fixtures and stuff. There is clearly now, after nine weeks, a real focus within the powers that be within World Rugby and then here in Ireland to make sure that the case is made for why they need to get back because they realise, you know, it's, it's just bottom line, it's absolutely vital. They highlighted that as much this week. The rugby can't survive too much longer without without action. Certainly, when I say too much longer, it can't really, in theory, survive into twenty twenty one without some severe cutbacks if it doesn't have some action on the field. Yeah, they've uh, they've got to get playing this year, and really, what they have to get playing this year is international rugby. Mm. Uh, we'll we'll come to that in a minute. But what they what they've basically said is that there's an acceptance, probably that there will not be any crowds watching rugby in 2020. So the re- the push now is to get behind closed doors in a safe environment for the players and officials and everybody else is there. And that's the aim in August, is that they'll play, as Alan's talked about there, the, these interprovincials with maybe 168 people seems to be the figure of how many people will be in the Aviva Stadium to cover players and, and all the rest of it. But it was interesting, the, the, the IRFU, it's a pretty stark warning from Philip Brown. Uh, cash reserves are likely to be exhausted within months. Everybody employed by the IRFU at the moment is on some sort of a wage reduction. Uh, basically, the more you earn as a player or an official or whatever, the more has been taken off you. Uh, and they have said... That the, the figure, the, the, the potential loss figures for not playing, they don't play, for example, the 
say that the 2021 Six Nations doesn't get played, they could be looking at a loss of around 60 million. And that's mm. just not sustainable. So the pressure is on. Maybe they're trying to put a little bit of subtle pressure on the authorities by saying, we, we have to keep moving forward. And that, that's where they're at. And this happened on the same day as the long-awaited uh, purchase of a stake in Pro 14 by CVC occurred. They've bought a 28% stake. Uh, it's a similar stake to what they have. They have a 27% stake in the Premiership in England, and they're looking to get a similar stake in the Six Nations. Uh, they are going to, in theory, bring the expertise to lift the corporate uh, money that can be produced by the Pro 14. And that money will go to the IRFU and then it will trickle down every all of the unions, including, interestingly, the Italians, who are now officially full members of the Pro 14. It's taken a long time for them to get there. They've been involved for a long time. So that's mm. that came out the same day. And I thought it was interesting that that would be announced. That announcement maybe got slightly lost behind what the IRFU had to say when they basically put their cards on the table uh, because this is obviously income coming into them but I think they were maybe making the point that's fine but it's it costs a lot of money to run rugby in Ireland. Just on that Alan it's important when I started that point to William to note that and I'm, I have no doubt uh, like the RFU are, 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 are making this clear and that they wouldn't want it any other way that they're saying in the best case scenario and they're, they're on, they understand that if it's not safe to play rugby then they won't be able to play rugby and then these losses will incur they're just highlighting to people what's at stake but they're not in any way suggesting that that's a reason to circumnavigate safety Oh certainly not certainly not I suppose And that's the... important because we just don't know if it will be possible for them to play yeah, and and you know, I suppose one of the one of the figures I'm surprised that doesn't maybe I'm not surprised one of the figures that's not being announced anymore. When when the CMO come on used to come on TV, he'd tell us you know how many people had died and how many people had been infected, and tell us the ages, and the average age and median age. And we're not getting that anymore, and mm. and you know you, you sort of look at it, and I think is is part of the reason being because very unfortunately it is a, the older population who are suffering here that the younger population aren't. Now, if you've got somebody's connected, like I'd, I'd be very conscious about, um, you know, going out into the into the world. My wife works in a in a nursing home, so you know I have to be very careful about where I go and what I you know what I touch and how clean on my hands and and all that sort of thing. So I'm not saying you know I I have to take this from the point of view. I understand this, but you know not everybody is in my situation. Not everybody is that connected to people who would be um, vulnerable. So does everything else have to shut down? Because like what, what's been lost? What, what's, the, what's the mental issue that's causing an awful lot of people? What are the mental stresses that are being caused based on the fact that people can't work or they don't want to work or they're not able to work because everything is being shut down? So there, there's, there's more to it mm. than just one section of the population that needs to be thought about here. Um, and as I said earlier, I think sport and the arts in general are something that inspires people and gives people reasons to live because, it, you know, they get inspired to by, by you know, watching people do incredible things whether it's on a rugby field or whether it's in art or it's on the stage or whatever that you know that life mm. has to come back to some level of living where's the quality of life what to me it's not just quantity of life there has to be a quality of life as well 
agree. I agree. William, there's a, a phrase that's coming out a lot is, is kind of, you know, risk analysis is, is obviously going to come so much into society. And, and let's be honest, rugby in and of itself is a risky sport. We know this. It, it has the potential to uh, cause injury as a, a high contact sport. There's a, a certain amount of risk involved in being a professional rugby player already. Um, so it's all about risk management, then, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's 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 risk management for the organisations in terms of their staff. Uh, so that that's one side of it. Going forward, you have to look at risk management and allowing fans in. And I think they've taken the view that that is too complicated at the moment to even consider. So they've almost parked that one. But are you th- okay with that? Is that acceptable in your mindset in terms of how to approach this? As best you can judge. I mean, no one's suggesting any of us are experts. Uh, yes, I don't think they have any choice because I think if we've had the Cheltenham situation and I think basically racing no regrets that, that they didn't make the decision to cancel Cheltenham. It's caused an issue for them. It's still coming up. I think it has to be parked, actually, and they've got to move on from it. But I think sport doesn't want to be seen in a negative light. Mm. Uh, and people are packed in on top of each other, shouting and roaring. Uh, you can't social distance in the clan terrace in Galway. You can't social distance on a terrace in any ground, even seats. You're on top of people. Uh, and they've said that that, in their view, scientific view is that's an issue. And they haven't really got a plan for it yet. And they have a plan for the players who will even be more mixing, obviously, on a rugby pitch. But they feel like there is less numbers there. There's more potential to control the environments that those players are in. I mean, we have seen some kind of absurd stuff in Australia with the AFL, with some of the rules that some of the players have, including not having anyone over to visit them uh, in terms of if they're single. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to even delve any further than that. But that became the funny headline. But it also kind of became a, a talking point as well. William, in terms of like how much is too much to ask and, and put control on players who, you know, they're not NFL or Premier League players. They're not earning millions every year. Uh, they're not, but they're still very well paid and they're in very, they're in environments where everything will be done to protect them and they will have access to, to testing. They will have access to those results. I think everybody's watching New Zealand. They're hoping to start again on, on June the 13th with this. The five teams in Super Rugby are going to play a home and away 10-week tournament. And I think every rugby nation will watch to see, do they get spikes? Does the testing work? Does the whole way you set up these grounds work? Uh, Premiership in England have a different idea. They're going to try to complete the rest of the season using one ground. Bristol has been suggested. And they'll just play every weekend and they'll play six games per weekend. I think they're planning two Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday. Uh, Pro 14's gone a different route. They're hoping to play some of the derby games. And then so everybody is watching what everybody else is doing. And the guinea pigs are New Zealand. Uh, if they get through it, uh, I'm sure something's going to go wrong. That, that's almost inevitable. Something will happen and they'll go, right, we didn't foresee that, but here's how we're going to get around it. 
you have to, as Alan says, you have to start again. At the moment, it's very easy to stop something in a situation like this. It's how you restart it. Mm. And it's proving very challenging for sport. Uh, Alan, just on the fans side of things, you know, over the last number of years, I certainly am going to speak for myself and feel like the, the pain punter and the guy who goes to the games just slowly but surely has been more and more kind of just taken alongside the social media followers and uh, television watchers from home and just taught about as almost on the same level. And a lot of those people who do make the efforts to travel do feel like they're they're, you know, taken for granted, maybe with ticket prices, maybe with different elements of that. And look, we've heard in the background before that there are people involved in sporting organisations who don't really believe that local media have too much of an important role. They feel like they could nearly do all their own media themselves in some sports, you know. So all those different elements make you wonder right now, is this a critical time for, you know, the role and the influence of the supporter on the game and their place in it? And could they could that role suffer quite a lot uh, in a period of absence from the stadiums? Well, it'll certainly, <laughs> I suppose you'd look at, a, you know, home games, if, if teams are managing to play at home, and like Leinster would be playing at home effectively in the Aviva Stadium. But if, if um, they weren't able to win games without their home support, then maybe, you know, the influence of fans would be seen as well. Some people don't want them there because it, it, it evens up the game and makes it a, a straightforward game because there's, there's no influence of the fans. Um, on the other hand, you know, it, it's atmospheres. The reason people come to the sports ground in such numbers now is that the time they built the clan stand and the noise that it generated was incredible. Mm. And that got more and more people interested and more and more people came along. As long as the, as well as the success of the team, obviously that you know winning games makes a big difference as well. Um, but it'll be fascinating to see playing in in, in silent stadiums, um, how it impacts the players because the players will still want to play. Players want to play sport. If you're if you're the best rugby player or you're a, a rugby player, you aspire to play the best rugby. You want to play against other guys who are really good to, to test yourself and whether there's fans there or not. It's a team sport, so you, you, as you always emphasise, it's not a, as rugby more than anything. Is one of the reasons why you and I'm putting words in your mouth love the game is because it's not an individual game; it's a team game. So the team has right. to have a cause, and if if it's a kind of a thrown together tournament like the New Zealand tournament is going to be, what's that cause and why does it matter? And it's easier to understand why it matters when you turn around and you see five and a half thousand green hat wearing Connacht fans. Uh, roaring you on like I'm not saying it's that basic that you go out on the pitch and if they weren't there you wouldn't care but it has a role to play and it's the collective Uh, yeah I think it does but I I, I still think you know you're you're looking at you know guys want to play rugby and they want to play the best rugby they can and they'll play wherever they can to get the best rugby they can I think what what fans give or what the, the, the supporters in the ground give is the extra element the extra boost so yeah, if you look at the, the the point of view that Connacht there, you know, in order to, to help raise some money, um, set out a, a limited uh, a limited edition jersey uh, for sale um, to support Alone and the Galway and Mayo Roscommon hospices, and mm. it sold out inside a day, like mm. inside a day in Connacht. We are like we are the the we have the smallest supporter base in the country. One of the smallest supporter bases in in the whole of Europe when it comes to rugby, and yet we were able to sell out. I don't know how big the the run was, but hopefully they'll do another run and more supporters can get them and raise even more money for such worthy causes. But there is a there is a an element of support there who wants to be involved. The amount of people, you know, when you go out walking, because those are people out walking now, and if the amount of Connacht tops and jerseys and caps and whatever that people are still wearing, even though there's been no rugby. 
and there's no sign of rugby for a long time. There's an element of of that still there for the supporters that can the players can plug into, but the players don't necessarily need in order to you know play a competition. If I was young enough and was able to, I'd be I'd be playing rugby whether it was f- five people in front of me or fifteen thousand people, if you know what I mean. So there's there's an element of yes, it it brings the extra, it brings the glamour. For me, the supporters bring the extra noise and glamour, and and everything that goes with it. It's it's something that. Um, marketers can't make they can't make the noise that fans make they can try yeah. and bring them along but you know I agree but I, I also wonder if if we're underestimating in that the meaning that it brings as well and William to that point like it's 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 what's the meaning of those two fixtures that's going to be the tricky part like part of the meaning obviously will be this is a huge moment in time where the first steps were taken to, you know, re- you know, bring back rugby. So that that may be enough. But at the same time, when Connick play Munster and play Ulster, you know, is it the same as reaching a semi-final before in Pro 14? And how do we create a narrative around that? Because I do think a lot of people within professional sport who are paid to work in professional sport really underestimate the narrative element of their sport. It's not just people attending a game to watch excellence on the sporting field, because if it was just about the excellence, I don't think they'd have much interest. It's about the story behind what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, well, I think, look, the the story for for Connacht in, in that scenario, I suppose, is they want to. They have a chance of getting third place. If you get third place, you're going to the playoffs. If these if these games continue to roll on, mm. so for them, it's just about winning those two games. Mm. Uh, if you get third place, you probably are going to qualify for the newly revamped European Champions Cup if that comes to fruition. And I suppose it's about, as you say, it's the restart for 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 professional rugby. I don't think anybody thinks it's ideal. It it, it isn't. And it is going to be very odd and very difficult. And I I suspect some players won't notice. And I suspect some players will find it maybe difficult to go out and play in that that context. But, you know, they've got to get past that. And it would be interesting to know how the... Psychologists who work with all sports teams these days, how they will approach that? How will you actually get these guys ready to play? It's a difficult one for fans, and I think they're going to have to. Uh, they might have to suspend judgment on it and buy into it, and I think some will, and some will find it very, very difficult to do that. And you were suggesting I, to me beforehand as well that you just wonder if it might quite a, quite quite the opposite from being a. A bad omen for the future of of the paying punter. It it may well underline uh, their importance of the game. This this period of behind closed doors action. Uh, yes, I think it will. I I hope, but I actually think it will concentrate minds um, in terms of what what fans bring, and it might encourage a different way of dealing with fans. And rewarding fans, you know, it's it's an expensive business to go and watch rugby. They might have to look at that differently. They might have to drop the price of tickets. They they there mightn't be enough money in the economy, and they might. I think they are taken for granted on many occasions. You look at kickoff times. You look at the way uh, television dictates a lot of that. Well, that might have to change a little bit. But then. You know, they pump the money in. So it's there is a balance there, but I think they will be looked at differently. 
it's interesting in Germany just to look at the way the football is going there that you know one team has put in all these cardboard cutouts of fans you pay 20 euros you get your photograph they put you up on the terrace but they've also allowed fans to put up banners in the ground complaining about these games being played so there's a you know there's they've allowed both sides of the argument but the aim has to be as fast as is possible uh, for sports organizations to get fans back in uh, as, as soon as they can. And they're going to work, I would say, incredibly hard at that. And it's interesting, we're, we're talking about all this stuff now because there's no live rugby. But this is going on all the time. You know, there's decisions being made about uh, money in sport or how you spend it or how you raise it. And really, there's an opportunity for nearly every sports organization to reset because of COVID-19. And it's fascinating that a lot of this is now out in the open, whereas normally it's just going on with boring, what would probably seem quite boring meetings behind closed doors and spreadsheets and presentations. But we're actually being drawn in a little bit to this now because there is a necessity to explain why they're, what they're trying to do and how they're going to do it. Alan, uh, our own uh, Lindy McKenzie has been doing some great work behind the scenes uh, on the advertising recent weeks. If you want to log on online, there's some great pieces there. There's a lovely piece with uh, Kieran Marmion, a good piece with Hudson Delan. Um, as well as that, though, this week she had some added information to give us a little bit of indication of what the Connick squad might look like when we get back. So as we finish this podcast, it's probably worth to just roll back to kind of the future and give people a chance to just imagine about the good times ahead when we get to see some rugby again. And unfortunately, in one sense, there's going to be some players leaving. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like there could be 11 or 12 leaving. We, we don't know exactly who yet, but um, the ones we do know... Um, Robin Copeland has gone to France. Uh, he announced that. Um, Tom McCartney has retired, and he's now back in New Zealand. Um, and then the rest of them are, you know, looking likely as having already left or about to leave. Um, Colby Fainga, who played 16 times for us last year, uh, looks like he's going to France in, in Lyon. Um, Joe Maximu looks as though he might be going to the Dragons, and, and he played 15 times for us last year, and that'll be a huge loss for for you know someone who was starting to really, in my eyes, was really starting to come into his own and, and was starting to become an important player in the second row because of, if only because he he was never injured, <laughs> you know he was just there solidly. Um, looks like Kyle Godwin, who played 17 times for us last year, is is um, maybe leaving us, and that's maybe where Sammy Arnold is coming in to replace him. Um, others that you know, Lindley mentions are Dave Horwitz, um, Owen McKeown and Niyadi Alokan. You've got Rory Burke, who was on a one-year contract and unfortunately got injured and never got a chance to play for us. And, and another couple of names that might possibly be leaving, um, we're not sure, are Dara Leader and Angus Lloyd. Now, if you look at it, that we, we had 45 players play rugby for Connacht in this current season or last season, not quite sure how to say it anymore. Um, assume that 11 or 12 are gone we could be down to 37 or 38 players so we've got four coming in <laughs> then where where are the rest where are the seven or eight players and we're supposed to have a slightly bigger squad um, so the question will be who are we going to get like I know Peter Sullivan from Lansdowne sort of was on trial with us last year and it looks as though he might be coming back in Colm de Butler was injured he looked as though he was a good prospect until he got that bad injury last year Um Another one is Connor Dean. He got to play a game last year, so hopefully he'll he'll kick on. The same with um, the under-20 star from two years ago, Dylan Tierney-Martin, coming in at hooker, which we'll obviously need a spot there. 
Um, and then the name that was a possibility, but um, I think William knows more about it than I do, was, was the possibility of the number eight Jasper Vies coming up from Cheetahs. But I'm, I think that's more in hope from my side than anything, is it, William? Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think so, Alan. I think Connick were very keen on him. Uh, peculiar situation in South Africa. All professional players there have taken a massive cut in wages, and they were basically given three weeks to either re-sign or leave. Uh, and he hasn't re-signed. It's a bit hard to figure out whether he hasn't re-signed or he hasn't been re-signed. It's <laughs> there's a there's a big story there. But uh, his his brother Casper is going to sail. Uh, rumors down there that Connick Connick were definitely interested in him, but I I think that's now a closed book. But again, look, what uh, what's closed or what's open at the moment? But I I think that's unlikely and. You would feel that they will have to, even if they do bring players up from the academy, they are going to have to look for a couple more signings. I think what's complex at the moment is that the way, when this tournament in New Zealand or Australia finishes, you don't know what players would be available. Uh, Maybe there'll be some short-term signings for next year. Maybe they'll bring in a sort of a loan basis uh, we don't even know next season how the Pro 14 is going to be played. It's supposed to start on the 3rd of October, which is actually the same day as Ireland are supposed to play Italy in the return of the Six Nations. Um, there's, there's a very detailed plan there for all this rugby, including a mini Six Nations tournament in November and early December, plus European rugby. It's, there's a lot at stake and there's a lot of planning to be done. So much more to talk about in the meantime. Uh, I hope, folks, we've uh, made life a little bit easier for you to, uh, to just plan this out and to have a little bit of a think about where things are with Connacht. But for the moment, we're going to wrap it up there. Big thanks, lads. Yeah, before you go, Rob, I just want to quickly just pop out. One of the things I've been doing is a, a lot of work on the stats in the background, because that's me. Um, and I sent out a, I sent a tweet out there a couple of weeks back. Um, I listed every player that's ever played in every position for Connacht. Every started, right? I'll say that started um, in every position for Connacht. So you can see, you know, the various players who played where and and when. And we're looking for fans to sort of send in their top three players in each position. And um, I'll I'll retweet it again with along with this podcast. The, the link to it it's on our Patreon site. Um, and just going back through the stats, one that sort of really jumped out at me, <laughs> which, you know, from our championship winning season was that um, Aj McGinty started 11 games and he won 10 of those games, hmm. which is a phenomenal stat. And, and, and the, on the flip side, he, he was on the bench five times and lost four. So <laughs> maybe we should have started him more often. But yeah, so yeah. There's, there's some just some stats. And, and if you want to, you know, send in your your top three players for each position to uh, craggyrugby at gmail.com or on our Twitter handle at craggyrugbypod. It would be great just to get some more. We have we have a number of entries, but I'd like to get a few more so as we can see what the fans think the, the best Connacht team in the professional era would be. Brilliant. And uh, News Talk had a lovely feature uh, on uh, Thursday on John Muldoon and O'Connick's mm. great win four years ago. That's well worth listening to as well. William, that's it. And to Dad... Alan's finishing with a good stat. Have you got anything to finish on? Uh, no, really. It's just uh, it's, it's a matter of uh, best foot forward. And hopefully the news remains positive. And uh, sometime later in the 
summer we see some live rugby. And hopefully we'll be our next podcast will be recorded in Marty Rabbits. Our oh, sponsors. Yeah. With a bit of luck. Loose, cut it loose. Break out or nothing changes. Sad and confused. Don't wait until